we're recording. Apologies for the delivery scooter men revving outside my window. <laughs> this is Beyond the Pass, conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality, and what makes us get out of bed each day. Welcome back to Beyond the Pass, everyone. I'm so excited to be sitting down with hospitality rock star Paris Bakshi. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I would love you to sort of introduce yourself. And I know that you're doing all kinds of different things right now. And how how do you introduce what you're doing in this industry? I think it's a really difficult question to answer at the moment. I've been thinking about it a lot because I've recently stepped away from working full time in the restaurant industry, employed by someone else and decided to um, try and work on a more freelance basis. And finding a title for that's quite difficult. I have been toying around with um, a freelance hospitality professional, but that just sounds a bit wanky. Um, but if someone was to ask me what I do for a living, I would say that I am a hospitality professional. Um, that is my career. I've dedicated my life to um, the restaurant industry and all, all manner of things that encompass that. Um, so wine, food, produce, people, um, ethics, morals. There are so many things that come under the heading that is hospitality. And I see all of them as being part of who I am and what I do for a living. But it, it all began really from a desire to be an actor. Is that what kind of got you into the restaurant industry was being an out-of-work actor? Yes, completely. Acting doesn't pay, <laughs> at least for the first t 10 years of your career, unless you're very lucky. So I always needed to do something that could sustain my desire and, and the need to, to do multiple free work as well, because that's what most acting jobs are when you're a young person too um so yeah I've been working in hospitality since the age of 14. What was the first job? I worked at a pub which was a half an hour cycle from my mum's house and I used to do about 30 hours a week <laughs> also like very illegal because you definitely were not allowed to be serving alcohol. <laughs> um, Did you feel like at what stage did it shift from going from like, this is the job I'm doing to sort of like supplement the other work that I want to do in my creative stuff into like, this is my career. And was that like an intentional shift or did something happen where you were like, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing now? Oh no, it was very much a moment. I remember it very, very clearly. Um, I'd been working in London, trying really hard to be a professional actor, working two jobs, um, living on my own and, one of my students died unexpectedly in um, the course that I was one of the teachers on. And the whole thing felt really wrong. It felt like it, it, it was wrong in every way. Um, it felt like it wasn't managed properly. I felt like I shouldn't have been in a position where I was responsible um, in that way. And it created this desire to completely change where I was in my life and and where I went to next so I shared a few beers one evening with some Canadian friends who were like why don't you move to Toronto um it's a great city I have a friend of a friend who has a bar so I did um I bought a ticket um my visa came through three days before I was due to fly I phoned someone up and he said if you can be here on the 1st of September you've got a job so I turned up at the bar with my backpack on the 1st of September. And it was 
it was working in that city and meeting so many committed professionals who also had a really good social life as well. There was, it was the first time I'd ever seen balance between um, work and, and love, really. And it was sitting in a Tironi with a very good friend drinking a glass of Riesling. And I think it was um, Canadian Riesling, but I couldn't be sure. I can't remember. He said we were talking about what it tastes like. And I suddenly realised that I could smell and taste so much more than I ever had done. And I felt like there was so much of the experiences that I'd lived through that were sort of captured in this moment. Um, and I thought, I can do this. I can do this as a job. I want this to be my life. I want other people to feel like this. I think it's incredible. Or incredible is probably the wrong word. I think it's really interesting that you found that in Toronto and not in London. And I'm not, something that's true about North America is that you can make a lot more money a lot sooner in the industry, which does allow you to live in better apartments, work less hours. So you have more time for a social life. When you're not at work, you can afford to do things like go out for dinner, which when you're working on the floor, when you're starting out in the industry here, you absolutely can't do because your wages are so shit. Mm. Do you think that it was the economics of that that sort of allowed you the space to consider it a career? Or was there... Was it just the people you were around and sort of the influences you started to have? I think, yeah, I mean, definitely the economics. Seeing professional servers, you, you know, come up to me because I was I was a host while I was there. Um, and even then I still made $11 an hour plus tips. Um, so, yeah, that that averaged at what, $16 an hour for hosting. Uh, some of the servers you know, my, my friend came up to me one evening and was like, right, that's it, Paris, just made $500, I'm going home. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was, it was the, like, the freedom that it gave people. I could see that. Um, but, but also the community. And I, I wonder how much the ability to feel empowered by your own, like, self-sustainability builds that ability to have a stronger community because it, it gives you've got lots of individuals who feel that they are worthy and therefore they're able to radiate that emotion and that power to all the people around them and that's what builds community not forcing people to work in a scenario that they have to I think that's so fascinating and I think something that's really missing in the UK and not everywhere but it's so often is people are genuinely too tired to invest wholeheartedly in the relationships around them. And that can be with your work colleagues. It can also be like in your romantic relationships. And I know we can both speak to having done this with other friendships outside of the industry. The exhaustion of the amount of hours you need to do in order to make your rent and have a life, it totally changes the energy that you bring into your day-to-day -day and into your relationships and into your thinking about career. Like somebody would could offer, and this happened to me, offered me a great promotion. They were like, do you want to move up? And like, you'll be managing people. And it like tapped into all these skills that I have. And my first thought was like, oh my God, I'm going to be so tired. Yeah. And there wasn't excitement. There wasn't like, oh, maybe I'll make a little more. And oh, this is a really good opportunity. It was like, oh my God, like my skills. <laughs> A bust open. And what a pity that is, right? I think it's so cool that you found that somewhere else and were able to bring it back. 
the things that you learned in Toronto or the lessons that you sort of brought away from that experience, how did you maintain them when you got back to London? It's about people. Remember what you're doing. You know, I mean, I think we get so caught up in the fear of, are we making enough money? Why Why are we struggling so much with recruitment? You know, we, we're caught up in the detail. I When I was preparing for this conversation, I spent a lot of time thinking about... Um, you know, what it is that that makes hospitality the community that it, it could be, it should be, that it is in so many ways. And, you know, what what is the definition of hospitality? It's looking after people, strangers, um, guests. That's what we that's what we do. We look after people. And if we can't look after ourselves and if we can't look after the people who are supposed to be looking after the people that are the people that bring revenue that that come back that spread the word then we're not doing our job so actually your job starts and this is for every person who works in any kind of hospitality focused business your job starts by looking after yourself and the people around you um so bring it back to that if you're having a bad day tell someone oh, do you know what i'm feeling a bit feeling a bit ragged today um but i'm okay and I can pull through. Maybe you can just give me a little, you know, tap on the shoulder or a little wink if you see me faltering, um, because that's going to bring us closer together. And that's going to allow us to push through the things that are really difficult. Everyone experiences difficult things on a daily basis. You can't measure it because you're not that person. But you can give that person the little bit of extra support that they need. Don't, it's about that scenario of like, don't, don't try and understand, just be supportive. Yeah, yeah. And feeling like the thing that came to mind is that idea of like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And I think when you look at the best teams you've worked with and the best environments and where people were really, their skills were really being utilized and self-esteem is really good around it. Those are like full cup restaurants where people doing that and showing that support and the hardest environments are ones where everybody is empty and also people that have other interests you know when I was kind of coming up in this in this world I was mostly working with other artists who were also in hospitality and that means that they're like striving for something not just in their day-to-day job but also in their lives they're looking for something there are other things that are insp- inspiring them other things that they can share other hardships um other stories and I think that we need to be really careful about not being a monoculture in this industry. And I think that this desire at the moment to insist that everyone's working um, full time, set hours, that they prove that they are committed. You don't have to give 100 percent to something to prove that you're committed, because if you do, then you're sacrificing everything else. 100 percent is a whole and to be a whole person, you need to divide your commitments so that you're able to have a balanced life. And if we're expecting people to give 100% of themselves to a job, then we're signing off our own industry for failure. I think that is so insightful. And <laughs> 100% true. And I think thinking about that idea of viewing it as a monolith and like what makes a successful person in this industry, how does that person perform and what does it look like? It's such a narrow vision. 
it also plays into the overarching majority of like maleness that we see and whiteness that we see. And I mean, being in the industry as a minority has its own challenges for sure. And particularly when you get into certain roles and leadership positions, because maybe the staff on the floor, there's a lot of diversity or in the kitchen, there's going to be diversity. But in those like leadership positions, it's so monolithic. When you've held those roles and when you have sort of like moved up the ladder, what has that experience looked like for you? And what are sort of the takeaways that you had? Well, I mean, for a start, it took me a really long time um, because I was continuously stepped over. Um, and at a very young age, I was working for a company. I'd applied for the management position and they told me that I was too maternal um, to be in that role, um, even though I'd was the only person who'd been and I'd been doing it for the last three months because our manager had walked out it happens so much because I think that there's something in a lot of women uh, who work in this industry where there is a desire to prove I can be stronger I am stronger I'll show you how how much better I can be and so you're so keen to step into that position and prove your worth before you're actually in it and it's that whole scenario of like, the more you give, the more people take. Um, but I think going back to your question, it took me a long time and I lost a lot of confidence. Um, I saw all these people being promoted and I thought, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. What is it that I, um, what is it that I need to change about myself to be able to be a manager? Um, so I kind of spent a lot, a lot of years working in middle management levels um, and um, educating myself. Um, I've done multiple qualifications, not just in wine, um, but, uh, you know, uh, hospitality and business foundation. I also put myself on a um, accountant's <laughs> course on Open University because I was like, I need to be able to be more qualified than all these people and have more experience. I want to be the person sat in that interview room saying you won't find anyone else that's more qualified. Undeni undeniable. You have to be undeniable. Yeah. Um, and then I found myself promoted into a um, general management position. And I was like, this is what I've been doing for the last <laughs> seven years. Um and it was really amazing to feel the recognition from the people who had promoted me and then to subsequently get another promotion very close. Um, and with that, um, my boss telling me, uh, it's about time you were in the role and with the wage that you deserve. And that's probably one of the best moments of my career. I don't really know what causes it. You know, I've worked with so many different types of people. And I think I think it is it is a confidence thing. And I think it's, it's too easy to just promote the people that you understand. And I think that um, in the way that I will always struggle to fully understand what it feels like to be a man, um, you know, it's, or anyone who isn't myself, but I want to understand. I want to listen. I want to be more, more educated. I want to be able to put myself in someone else's shoes and empathise. I feel that actually the culture that's ruling the hospitality industry perhaps isn't as open to that. Um, and that's where you get issues. Th this scenario of having to prove that you're stronger and better rather than just being yourself. Uh, one of my recent things <laughs> has been to... Um, 
loudly say when I'm on my period to whoever is around me, just to remind people that I'm a woman and I bleed and it makes life really fucking difficult um, for like three days and I'm still doing 16 hour shifts and I haven't sat down today. And you know what? I am gonna sit down in briefing, even though for the last 15 years of my life, that's never been allowed. I am gonna do that because that doesn't make me any less of who I am. If anything, it's gonna help me get, get through the next seven hours. So it's just that little shift in mentality. There was something, who was it that said this? Different industry altogether. I think it was Sarah Silverman, but talking about comedy and um, like the way that the scene changed after Me Too and like the shifts. And she was like a lot of my sort of straight white male comedian friends keep complaining to me like I, I can't get a job I can't get a job like they just want women they want people of color like all of a sudden like I can't get a job and she was like no no you can still get a job you just have to be now undeniable which is what women and people of color and other minorities in the industry have always had to do yeah. I thought that was so interesting and it made such a good point and there is something about the way that hiring works or like who's seen as being weak or who's seen as being strong and how much that gives. And like, you're describing the effort and energy you had to put in to be on an equal playing field. And it's almost disturbing to me because the amount of like truly mediocre men that I've worked with in leadership positions in restaurants is, I mean, it boggles the mind. And then, you know, you go around and you're working really hard and you're doing all the things you do. And then they come to you and they're like, wow, I'm so glad you're here. Like, you're so good at this. Like, it's so good that you're here. And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking good that I'm here because you don't have to work as hard. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> sort of, in a way, like gatekept by this mediocrity, but then it also does something really bad because I can speak for myself, like my pattern of working is very self-sacrificial it's absolutely having no boundaries it's pushing myself physically like way past the limit but it's because i was conditioned to do that and so to feel empowered to take a step back and be like okay i'm actually not going to do this anymore it's very hard to do that because you built your career with the perception or the reputation of being like a big pusher yeah so how do you reclaim that part for yourself and like start taking care of yourself? Well, I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing at the moment, isn't it? I'm I'm the same. I can't not give 110% um, because then I feel like I'm failing. And I think that that's such a good point. I don't think people realise how much of your, you know, we all give, we all sacrifice. Um, it, life is about compromises and the working world is about making sacrifices. But I've got to a point where I, I got to a level of, you know, amazing position with a great wage. Um, and I just actually felt deflated. I felt like, oh, I'm going to have to work this hard for the rest of my life. I, I don't think I can do that. I've, I've pushed it so much. Um, and that's why I'm sat here, not clear on what the next step is, um, working really hard to stop myself from stepping into another full-time role that's 70 hours a week um, because I need to make a change. And if I want to change the industry for better, if I want to show people the next generation of people coming into hospitality, that we can do it differently and that we will do it differently. 
and that this is an amazing job and it is filled with wonderful people and there is so much you can learn and so much opportunity. I have to live by what I believe in. Um, and that means sacrificing security at the moment, really. Um, and finding out what the next step looks like. And it's terrifying. It's incredibly empowering. But I don't know what that looks like yet. <laughs> so little role modeling. Like, I didn't... And I mean, we've kind of had this conversation before, but when I was, even as a general manager working in management positions, I didn't know what was possible. Like, there was no place where I looked up in the industry and was like, oh, that would be a really cool place to go. Yeah. Like, when my knees give out or when I, like, can't keep working night shifts or whatever the case might be, like, when my lifestyle changes or when my body gives out, I don't know where I can take this. And so I think, and I don't think I'm alone in that. And that idea then becomes, all, oh, I have to leave the industry. I have to leave the industry. I have to find something else. And because there's nobody to look to, and I shouldn't say nobody, that's not true. There are some people that are role modeling just incredible stuff, but it's far between. And unless you're sort of in a particular scene in the industry where that moving and shaking is happening, it would be incredibly easy to miss it. Yeah. And how do we sort of, in these conversations and just by living our own examples, how do we provide paths for other people who have, are experiencing the exact same sort of situation that we did? And I don't, I don't know, except to show up and do it and to do it bravely, but also like we're tired. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think that it's about um, advertising the fact that this community exists. I think mm -hmm. it's about pulling the people that, you know, you just mentioned, there are these people who are showing that it is possible um, and that who are actually still working in the industry. Um, I think that there are some like pretty strong things that need to change and things that we can't shift on. Um, there needs to be a maternity paternity package in our industry. And I refuse to believe that it's not possible. Um, you know, there are other industries that manage it. The hospitality and leisure industry is one of the biggest industries in the United Kingdom. We make so much money for this country. We can absolutely afford to give some of our staff members the ability to take a slower pace so that they can carry a baby, give birth, have some time with their family and come back to work. Having a child is not changing your life. Having a child is adding to the wonderful life that you live. And I don't think it's fair. Um, I've never worked in a job where I felt that I would be able to have a child and continue. I've never worked in a job where I thought I'd be able to get through pregnancy there, to be honest. So I think that's one thing that we can make a change on. Um, but I do think it's about reaching out to people. And that's my plan over the next two years is to just basically career around the United Kingdom and further afield if I can. Um, having events and inviting people and showing that there is a community out there. We just need to pull everyone together. And if we can show that this is a wonderful place to work and that this industry has a loud voice that um, is, is singing, we'll get more people coming in and we'll get a diverse range of people coming in. And I think, you know, it, it comes down to what you were saying a minute ago about um, making sure that those pathways, those different pathways are available. Because the wonderful thing about hospitality is that you don't need 
to be, to have a degree. You don't need to be able to, you don't need your GCSE in maths. You know, you don't need to be an intellectual. What you need to be able to do is look after table 14, table seven, table three, give them a wonderful time. You'll feel that. It's that mentality of if you smile at someone, they'll smile back at you. So that's kind of what we're looking for. Genuine, honest, warm people. And then give them the opportunity to grow themselves. I'm dyslexic. School was really, really hard. I don't have a degree. This industry has empowered me and given me the ability to make myself an intellectual. I'm now sat here with the opportunity potentially of being a wine writer one day, um, of potentially going into food journalism if I want to, opening my own restaurant if I can find some money. Um, it's giving you the education to be able to do that. Exactly. And I think that that's something we should absolutely be celebrating. You don't want to employ people that are the finished package. You want to employ people that are coming to you because they want to learn. And you, want, you learn together. It's a growth. Again, coming back to what hospitality is, the sharing of things that you love and care about. Um, and I think that that's some, a mentality we need to change. You know, restaurants particularly at the moment, they're looking so hard for professionals. Um, and the fact of the matter is there isn't enough. So create new ones. This isn't specific to hospitality. I think this is true of most things and people, but we're very, very scared to do things first. We want to see the model and we want to see it work. Yeah. And to be fair, like this is a really precarious time and people are at risk of losing their businesses. And I understand that like the idea of taking a punt right now feels quite scary, but it's interesting. Like if you see other restaurants and if like, and I say the colloquial, we elevate restaurants that are doing it better and doing it differently, whether that's in terms of a tip structure that actually makes sense and rewards people doing the service, whether that's an effective maternity leave, whether that's doing a really good job at reasonable adjustments for folks that are experiencing mental illness, whatever the case might be, if we see restaurants succeeding in an alternative way of working, there will be more confidence to work that way. Yes. And we'll also see people pursuing careers within those, whether that's the company or the restaurant itself or with a certain chef or with a certain manager, we will see people showing up and being like, my God, put me to work. Yeah. And we see that once, I shouldn't say we, once other places and venues and companies see that, the resistance to change will start to dissolve. I think that's happening already. I do. I do think, I think that people are talking about it. I just don't think that the that the bravery to make those steps is necessarily happening at the rate that we need it to. It's a conversation I've had with a few, um, well, a few women who are chefs actually, saying, you know, um, that the desire to change seems to be there. It's just not happening fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it does come down to fear, fear of fear of losing. But but also, I'm kind of bored of that at the same time, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is hard. Life's hard, you know? Yeah, that idea that, like, well, now it's, like, crazy times and everything's really hard and staffing crisis and we need to, like, batten the hatches. Is that it? Batten the hatches? Yeah. We need to batten the hatches. It's like, no, 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 you need to fucking set the hatches on fire and, like... <laughs> Throw the hatches <laughs> away. <laughs> and 
to be honest, to be fair, like you're already fucked. You're already losing money. You already can't staff your restaurant. You're already like losing people to other industries. That's like, you're already, it's already shit. So like do something else, try something else. And there's no shortage of people that would be excited about that. Absolutely. In every environment I've worked in, there's been at least one or two people advocating for something different. It's not always been me, but I've been like, how about we try it this way? How about we try it that way? And it's either like, no, things are going well and we don't want to rock the boat or things are going horribly. So we have to just hunker down. And it's like, if there was a time to start to adjust the way that we work and actually benefit the people that are making us money, this would be that window of opportunity, you know? If you can fund it, basically. Um, I'm curious if you have ever reached a tipping point where you just wanted to get out forever and not I know in the current moment now you're like in between things and deciding where to go next but I mean where you were like actually fuck this fuck this and you just wanted to peace out yeah um, I mean there are there have been little moments over the last you know 20 odd years um, where I've had to call the police on a staff member who came in so drunk and threatened me with broken glass um, and my management team didn't do anything and I felt physically petrified. Uh, you know, yeah. there's moments like that where I'm like, why am I here? And then I wake yeah. up the next morning or I serve a table who tell me that this has been the first time that they've come out in the last year and they've had a baby and it's been really difficult and... I've made their night so special, you know, and I still remember their faces. And then you're like, no, I'm doing this because actually this is how I make the world a better place. I can't change politics and I can't correct global warming, but I can make people feel good. But there was a time when I I fully decided that I was not going to work in hospitality anymore. Um, it was after my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, and they told her she would have five years to live. And um, I also simultaneously found out that I was a BRCA1 um, gene mutation carrier. Um, and the restaurant that I was working at, when I told them this information, my manager said, I don't know what to say. And I was in tears and it was 7.30 in the morning. Um, and I felt so alone. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so I left the restaurant industry because I had to have an, a life-changing operation, um, which I was told would take me eight weeks to recover from. It actually took me two years. I went to work for Neil Jardieri, who were an absolutely amazing, who are an absolutely amazing company, who gave me so much support, um, emotionally, physically, um, mentally. Um, and, you know, without that time in my life, um, I don't think I would have made it through. Obviously, my partner has always supported me in everything, but he found it hard too. He couldn't take the time off work. He was only allowed to take, I think, two weeks off work. And I needed full-time care when I came out of hospital. I was on <laughs> morphine and I didn't know what was going on. And I remember his face. It, it was so hard for him to have to leave me in our tiny little flat and go back to work. So, yeah, that that, that was a time where I, I felt like my industry that I dedicated, you know, upwards of 10 years of my life to were like, sorry, there's nothing we can do here. Um, you have to figure it out on your own.
I find that so upsetting for so many reasons. <laughs> I, like largely, I think it's, it is a job, no matter sort of where in the hierarchy you are, that demands everything of you. You sacrifice anniversaries, you sacrifice time with your family, you sacrifice like, and that's okay. That's part of the job. The hours are antisocial. The work is hard. Like that's part of the job. And because we get that feedback where we get those tables or those experiences, or we work with these chefs that are like absolutely doing like crazy shit with oranges or whatever, like, <laughs> and we're like yes, yes, yes. Okay. I'll make these sacrifices. I'll make these sacrifices. And then when you show up to that industry and you're like, Hey, listen, I, right now I can't give, and I just need that. There's no space for that. And it's the only industry in the world where you'd be getting, I mean, any kind of life-changing surgery, but especially something like BRCA1, which has all kinds of impacts on your health and your mental health and your managing your family, the logical aspect of it, that you would show up and that you wouldn't get paid time off or compassionate leave, that you wouldn't get support like from your office or someone from HR would come check in, make sure you're fine. Like it's the only industry and it's the only industry that's this big where yeah. it employs people where there's not that support. Yeah, we're a people-focused industry. And I mean, I think what you said earlier was so brilliant, but it's like, we do such a good job of taking care of other people. That's the bread and butter. And when it comes to taking care of our own people, we're absolutely rubbish at it, <laughs> which is a problem. It's a big problem. It's, it's, it's the problem. Let's, let's put it out there. It is the problem. And the thing is, it's so easy to change it. It is so easy to change it. No, you're so right that everything does stem from that. Like that is the seed from which the tree of problems grows. <laughs> um, you, when you were after that experience and when you were ready to go back in, what was it the time at Neil's Yards and sort of the treatment you got from them and the beauty of that, that sort of drew you back into being like, okay, I can, I can trust this industry again, or I can give it some more. Working for Neil's Yard definitely empowered me in the, the reality of honest true produce um and my parents were biologists I believe so strongly in the natural world my mom used to say to me when things are too much um you know just look around you if you ever feel like you're alone if you ever feel like you can't do something look at the way that planet earth manages the trials and challenges that it deals with every minute of every day that tree is still growing in central London it's been here for hundreds of years it still grows branches those leaves come back every year you know look at the empower empower use that to empower you basically um so you know spending time working with really inspirational um, cheese producers definitely had an impact. But I would say that actually what brought me back to the hospitality industry was my mum died. Um, uh, she didn't live for five years. She lived for three uh, after her diagnosis. Um, she chose not to have chemotherapy after the third um, diagnosis of uh, breast cancer. So the cancer spread into pretty much every part of her body. Um, most people who get cancer die as a result of a complication rather than actually dying of the cancer um, because of the, the treatment they go through, they get an infection or what's something. So, um, so I, I lost my mum and um, we weren't particularly close, but it did make me think about everything. <laughs> In a word, it made me think about everything. It made me think about what I want my life to look like um if I die of cancer which is a risk that I look at every day um because of where I am um and I realized that the thing that makes me 
most happy is sharing what my partner and I have built together, which is this love of the hospitality industry, the love of sharing amazing food um, and the stories that are behind the produce and the delivery of essentially a moment that is incredibly special because of all the little details that people do to make it happen. Um, And over lockdown, my partner and I talked about that a lot. You know, we talked about what the next step is for us. And we decided to come back to London because that's where things happen. And if you want to make a difference, you have to be at the centre of where the change needs to flow from. And I think that London is the right place to do that. So um, I made a promise to the universe, I guess you could say, that I would do everything in my power um, to continue hosting people and making everyone's lives just a little bit better. Um, Because at my lowest times, the things that have made me feel happy are sharing delicious food and wine with my partner Tom um, the most important person in my life and you know I think that's that's the power of our industry we actually have the power to influence so many other industries because we have the power to influence and touch so many people I think that you say something like it's so beautiful and interesting to me because thinking about what your mom told you and like when it gets overwhelmed, go outside, look at the thing, look at the tree, like just look around you at all the things that are making this possible and how extraordinary and how, and like to ground yourself. And that's like the very thing that you, that also like, in this industry, you're like, no, if people can understand the stories behind this, if they can see how all these flavors got together, if they can see this process, if like, we can, if I can bring that very thing, like, the equivalent of stepping outside and looking at the tree in the middle of central London, you're talking about doing that with food and wine yeah. and that will bring goodness and that will ground people. And I think that that's so beautiful that you like took all of these passions and all of this excitement that you have. And like, that's how you're shaping them. And if there's any motivation for doing this work, like that should be it. But I think, I think that's it. And I think, you know, I've had a lot of customers say to me over the years, you're always smiling, like they're confused. How are you always so happy? And I am so happy when I'm on a restaurant floor. Yeah, me too. It's just, it's such an amazing feeling. I'm happy that I can be myself. It it is, it's just about telling stories. And I think, you know, it goes back to the, I was so wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to be an actor because I love telling stories. Um, You know, I'm, my, family I've got Persian heritage um, and they're some of the best storytellers you'll ever meet (laughs) anyone who comes from uh, a Persian background and you learn so much from hearing a story it helps you form your life that's why we read stories to children because it helps them understand the world faster and that's what hospitality is telling the stories to people And allowing them to interpret it in the ways that they want. And so I think that's where, you know, you have to come back to the fact that we are not a dictatorship. We are allowing an opportunity for multiple things to grow within a space. That is the environment itself. And to have a positive environment that develops and grows and comes back year on year, day on day, you have to water 
and give nutrition to the roots that make that environment. And those roots are the people that create it. There is no restaurant without the people who make it. At its most demanding and even at its least demanding, how have you learned to take care of yourself in that environment or in that industry? Um, I, I'm not very good at it. Um, I never have been. Um, yeah, I, I'm still learning every day. And I struggle to um, set myself boundaries because I worry so much about letting people down. Um, and I feel so much responsibility for all the people in my team. Um, and I, I know how to deal with um, traumatic events. I've dealt with multiple, so I know I can push through. And that's something that often means I do, and I will take that extra shift. I will work that little bit harder. I will stay till the end. I will take on that extra job. I will write that article. I will do that email. I will. So I, I, I do find it difficult. Um, things that have made it easier are um, my partner's very good at telling me to slow down uh, and stop putting so much pressure on myself. Um, I have an amazing network of uh, friends who, whenever I reach out to, are always so supportive and encouraging and also, you know, check in on me as well and give me the confidence to say, no, I am going to take that day off. But it is, it's difficult. Making sure that you allow time for the other things in life is really important. And because sometimes I struggle to just stop, that usually means doing something else that's active. At the moment, taking a break away from being in the city and being in a restaurant 24-7 and spending time, you know, stomping on grapes and learning about the multiple fittings of taps on a stainless steel tank and how to clean them is a good opportunity for me to step out of something still working very hard, but in a different way. So for me, that, that's what I've had to do. Just do something different, not necessarily do less. And usually I find that if I trust my instincts and trust my body, really listen to my body, then I will find opportunity within the day to take little rests or little break. I think we don't give ourselves enough opportunity to just sit and watch. There's always a screen. There's always something to read. There's always um, something to do. But if you can force yourself to just look at the sky or, you know. Three minutes. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to be a master at meditation. You don't have to spend 30 minutes every morning doing yoga you know, just lie on the floor for 10 seconds mm -hmm. and think about your breathing mm -hmm. or just take a deep breath in and actually look at the people that you're working with and mm. remind yourself that although they might be all pissing you off today, they are <laughs> all humans and they are all good people because that mm. is true, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think they're the things that I've had to do um, to help myself get the balance back. It's about perspective, isn't it? It's actually not about work-life balance. That's kind of not a very helpful phrase. It's about empowering yourself to believe that your perspective on the world is right and have confidence that you can trust it. I think trust, we haven't really t talked about trust, but that's something that is essential to the success of anything. <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about work-life balance. And I think it's very easy to be like, 
it's really important to find a work-life balance and it's important for your staff to find a work-life balance. And it's like, okay, well zoom out because like this restaurant has to serve like breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> and they are short staff and they are this and they are that. And like, yes, in an ideal world, like we have just as much time in our lives as we do in our occupations that doesn't exist in capitalism. It also doesn't exist in this industry. It's like, okay, well, what if we trash that? Look at what we're actually working with the actual reality of our working lives and then find space for compassion within that. Yes. Both other people and for ourselves. And I do think it is about just like spend 10 minutes, lie on the floor, listen to your favorite song, stare at the sky, call your mate, whatever, however that looks for you. Remind yourself that you're human. Yeah. I think that there's this like mindset that happens and there's something amazing about it where when you're really, really busy and you're running around and you're like, boom, 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 that table, this table, da, 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 da. But you are like in robot mode. Like you're not present in that. Or I certainly am not. It's like, I'm blacked out. Like, because you're so busy. And so you're still engaged and you're da, 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 and you're doing, touching all your tables and you're absolutely smashing it. And at the end, it's like, whoa. Like, and the time goes so fast and you're not conscious or present in that. Being in that sort of robot mode with work you need to do it to get it done. But then it's like, okay, how do I like return to my body and like return to the people that I'm with and return to like when that night starts to slow down and that pace starts to slow down, how do I like recenter myself? I suppose for lack of a better word without drinking like 14 gin and tonics. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think kindness is, um, you know, you said compassion. I think kindness is a really good word to focus on. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, there are moments where you step into that robot mode, especially if it's the end of the week and you've had a big week and you're working really hard. I know a few people that say, oh, I, I often find I work my best when I'm really exhausted because I go into um, uh, muscle memory. And I'm like, I worry about that phrase <laughs> a lot because let's just um, look to science for a second, shall we? Statistically, that is impossible. You do not work at your best when you are really exhausted. You are just not thinking about everything. Um, you are thinking more laterally, um, which means you're able to deliver something, but it doesn't mean you're doing your best work. You're not open to receive all that positive feedback that you normally would from people's reactions or from good tables or from your colleagues yeah. because you're just... Exactly. And so you you fall into robot mode um, and therefore you you don't feel fulfilled you get to an end of a shift and you feel buzzed and you feel full of adrenaline you feel alive but you also can quickly switch into feeling incredibly depressed um and I think that's where being aware of that example that we just explained is really important to everyone you know and then and again this also is relevant to multiple industries not just our industry um Take a moment during your shift um, and check in with that table or check in with another staff member how, how, and make it, make it genuine, be genuine. And that takes practice. You're not always going to get it right. Sometimes you might say something that you're like, well, that was a weird thing to come out of my mouth. Um, but that's okay because <laughs> you're human. Enjoy that when people were really in like a kamikaze of activity and I could feel them just like motoring through, I used to try and assign them like, okay, we need to bring a cake to this table. So we're going to spend five minutes. We're going to sing. We're going to have the 
like candle, whatever. And just taking that moment to like be part of that person's birthday joy. And they'd hate it. They'd be like, I don't want to fucking sing. I don't want to do a candle. I have to run this. I have to run that. I was like, no, 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 you're going with the cake. And just giving them five minutes to drop back into what was actually going on. And the fact that there's all these people around at all these tables, having an experience, having a night out, connecting, breaking up. I don't know what they're doing. But <laughs> back into that just for a second and take a second the, the shift in their energy when they came back to their section would be palatable and I think just completely reflects what you're saying I guess the last question that I have is how have you learned how to particularly in your workplace and I know in your last role you were doing like very HRE stuff um, I mean you just were doing HR um, how did you sort of craft a way to talk about mental health at work uh, you found effective or how successful was that how hard was that so I think the most important thing to say is um in regards to talking about mental health in work mm. and life you need to talk about it openly and honestly it, you know again coming back to like that feeling of um trusting yourself and the people around you and also trusting that they might not understand but trusting that they need to hear it um, and that it's important to talk about it. And, and I would say that it's taken me a long time to get to the point of stepping away from being like, I need to be always strong, always powerful, never show any weakness to actually realizing, no, no, I need to show vulnerability. I need to tell people when I'm feeling vulnerable. Um, so it's about verbally expressing and physically expressing um, because by doing that, especially as the senior manager, you start to show that this is an environment where these things are taken seriously, where we can talk about these things. You can't just talk about it. You have to embody it. I think that's really important. So I think it, it's it's more about starting the conversation and making sure as a manager, you know your staff. Um that's definitely something I've learned over the last few years. Um, you need to be able to recognize when things aren't quite right and you need to have the confidence and feel brave, the bravery to be able to just check in with that person. And you need to do it in a way that is genuine because so many people really struggle to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And just because they can't say it out loud doesn't mean they don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. so you need to recognize if someone's not quite themselves today, then just check in with them. You know, when you have a moment that they're on their own, um, you know, and do it openly and think about openness in your face. Think about openness in your body language. Think about openness in your tone of voice. These are all things that you um, study a lot if you do any kind of yoga training. If you're a yoga teacher, one of the most important things to make people feel relaxed is about, they often talk about soft, soft voice, soft face. And I think it's so valuable um when you want someone to really know that that you are here to help them um in a non-sympathetic way I, it's not about sympathy it's about empathy and the need to support the people that you care about because you have to care about them because they are essential to your life at this moment um, without them you can't do your job uh, and without your job, your life crumbles, you know, in, in that that's kind of a mentality that I think can exist. And you can use that to to your to your benefit, not to your detriment. Don't think about it in the sense of this person's not at their best today. Therefore, we had a really bad service. Therefore, I'm going to be in trouble. Therefore, you know, it's like, no, no, no. 
turn that around, start at the beginning and look at this person's not quite themselves today. What can I do? What can my team do to support them so that we all step up? So I think, you know, I think that's really important. Some of the things that I've done that I think have been really valuable culture workshops with different teams as well. So getting all your managers together and focusing a workshop on what what is our culture? What 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 do we see as being the culture at the moment? Is there anything we want to change? Is there any how do we make those changes? How how do you feel about this? What are your thoughts about this? You know, continuously bringing things up in managers meetings that are about the relevance of health and well-being is really important. So that should be a part of every meeting. Always make sure there's something in briefing about health and well-being. You know, it can be a little snippet. If you see that your, you know, your mate in section one is going down a bit, don't just step in and help them. Ask them first. Show that respect. You know, that's it's just thinking about all the aspects that exist in our day-to-day lives in a restaurant that, that directly influence our mental health and well-being um, and then making sure that we talk about it um, and that we action things to make those little changes. It, it does, it's not an overnight fix and, it, and it's not something that you put a policy in place and that's it. Great, done. We've changed it. We're much better. Yes, we've got our mental health awareness certificate. We are, we are mentally aware of all the health. You know, we, we've got this. No, no, no. But being a good manager is about daily recognising that you need to be in tune with the daily event. And that that takes a lot of energy yeah. and the support that's necessary for all the people involved in that. And I think as a, as a senior manager as well, you very often find yourself in a position, and I've spoken to a few managers recently, that feel they have no support because they are at the top. Who's, who's giving them the support? And I think it's important for everyone in the business to recognize that the owner of the business has no support either and that support can come from someone that isn't their superior it can come from someone else yeah and it's a shared responsibility yeah the shared responsibility to sort of distribute that emotional labor and prevent that kind of burnout and building shared vocabulary and getting people more comfortable like you're so right and I think that because restaurants are so hierarchical inherently we get really trapped in that sometimes And I remember managing a site and somebody who worked on the bar came and literally sat me down and gave me a plate of food because I had just been like, like buzzing all day, all day, all day. And it was the kindest thing they could have done in that moment. And that that's what it is. It's like, you don't have to be my boss to take care of me or to check in and make sure I'm okay. Somebody who worked in the bar, it was a huge team of people. They saw they're like, I think I can be helpful and I think I can support. And they did. And they were empowered to do that. They they knew that it would be received in a way that was healthy and good. And not like you're really stepping out of line and like, I'll take care of myself. Thank you. No, it was like, oh my God, amazing. And wow, every everyone is really showing up for each other. And all of these labels that we have or where we work in the restaurant aren't mattering because there's a culture here of taking care of each other. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, talking um, for people who will be listening to this and thinking, how do I how do I start changing my my work environment and my culture to be uh, better at, at um, thinking of mental health awareness and and the well being of people? I think some of the things that I would say are um, you know really look at the way you communicate with people um, and really think about your nonverbal communication and think about how your physicality 
influences the environment that you're working in and the way that you um, talk to people um, and, and making sure that you have scheduled uh, meetings with your staff individually. You know that appraisals are one of the most rewarding things, um, but remember why you're doing them. You're not doing them just to sit down and be like, how are you doing? How's life? People also want to see where the next step is. That That is being aware of mental health needs is also giving people structure um, and a progressional route, helping them to build a pathway so that they can see where they are now, they can see where they want to be and they can see how they're going to get there. That is also really important to the health and well-being of your staff members. But you don't also, you don't have to make these conversations specifically around, you know, mental health and well-being you can have a wine tasting that touches on these topics as well. So doing, you know, focused tastings with your team where you're looking at a particular product or products or wine importer or wine producer um, and encouraging the direction of conversation, encouraging people to discuss, you know, allowing people to share their thoughts and feelings on something also gives people an empowered feeling. It, it helps them feel engaged. It helps them feel part of the team. That's really essential for mental health and well-being, you know, in a way that isn't just physically part of the team. It helps people feel like they're on the same wavelength. What Something that you hear a lot in uh, the restaurant industry is people leaving because they felt they didn't fit or they felt that they were an outsider. Um, and it's something we need to be really aware of because people don't always share that so if you notice that someone is a bit quiet at, at tastings, at briefing, if you notice they're slightly, you know, not involved, um, if you notice that they don't come to uh, events that are organised outside of work, then it, it's it's your job to try and find out why. It might be just because actually that's the way they want to be and that's absolutely fine. But then you need to set the example of it is OK for people to have a life outside of work. It is OK for them to feel that they don't need to contribute in these ways rather than saying they're not contributing because they don't care yeah or they're not yeah. attending because they don't care or they're not investing it enough because you're not inside their brain you don't know that but unless you make space to have that conversation and make space for them to tell you about themselves you won't know exactly it's incredibly good advice and something that gets missed all the time there is so much um, speculating or assumption making that allows us to direct our management styles where it's like, well, that person is lazy. This person doesn't work hard in these circumstances. This person like gets pissy, da, da, da. And it's like, no one, like laziness, pissiness, like all of these things are an affect of something else. Yes. And if we can take time, whether that's in appraisal or in briefings or just like little check-ins to dismantle th that emotional state or the, whatever their action is, whether it's absenteeism or just being an asshole or whatever, <laughs> It allows us to have solutions that are focused on the individual and therefore, and you're so right, like therefore that person feels seen, we're able to be more effective. The, then the sort of trickle down or the overall benefit for mental health and well-being and the culture of your workplace starts to improve. Yeah. Like without it. You have to remember that this person works for you. You don't own them. So if they are unhappy because actually they're not enjoying their job, then you your part of your responsibility as their manager is to find out if there's anything you can do to help them progress right and that progression might be away from the restaurant they're working in 
But if you invest in them, then that will come back round to you. They will they will realize that actually you value them and you value them in your restaurant or outside of your restaurant. Something I've heard a lot of people say is it's really difficult to look after, um, to, to manage people in this way. It's really difficult to manage the HR stuff. It's really difficult because I don't have time, because there is never time. And it's like, there is always time. If there is one thing that I would tell all managers, in fact, everyone in the world <laughs> to do, you should make time to listen to the people in your life. And those people are the people you work with. Mm-hmm. If you if you notice that something is wrong, if you notice that someone's a bit off, you can check in with them. If you can't sit down with them and have a conversation in that moment, then make a time to do it. Because it is so important and, and you can make time. It doesn't need to be you know, an hour coffee. Be honest with people. I don't have time to talk about this right now, but it's really important to me. And the way you're feeling is really important to me. So we will make time to talk about it. Um, let's let's find a time after work or let's schedule a time next week. It doesn't need to be there and then. And actually you'll find that when you start thinking in that mentality, actually you have more time because you start to realise that this is a priority Um and, you know, finding a new candle holder for the second toilet, actually, that can wait. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not important. I want to ask you a couple of quick fire questions before I let you go back into your day. If you could only go to one London restaurant for the rest of your life, what restaurant would it be? Duck soup. What's your favorite dessert? Lemon tart. What's the, you, what's the best <laughs> What's the best item on the menu at McDonald's? <laughs> None of it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite view in London? Um, when you cycle onto Waterloo Bridge and you come up and you open, um, on, you, I feel like I'm on top of the world. Looking across the Thames, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm flying. Mm-hmm. Um, who's your dream dinner guest? My partner. And do you have anything you'd like to plug? you want to shout out any like good podcasts you've been listening to lately any restaurants that are hiring that you love and think would be great to work at any I think I mean there's so many I I, I guess what I should say is that anyone who's listening should definitely try the wines from Dan and Nicola Ham who are offbeat wines in Wiltshire um they are doing they are really making natural wine um and as Dan would say it's not really natural wine, it's minimal manipulation, because natural wine is a term that doesn't really define anything. Um, But what we're trying to do here is make really delicious wines with the ingredients that we have at our fingertips with as little manipulation as possible. Um, And I think that there's a lot that goes into those bottles, which really represents everything that we've been talking about today. I'm going to also link the to their socials in the description box for this episode so please go and support them and Paris thank you so 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 much for talking to us you your insight is invaluable and you're such a brilliant person (laughs) thank you so much it's been amazing and thank you for everything that Kelly's cause is doing I think you know you're really setting the standards for uh, what is achievable in the the next generation of restaurants in this country the future is bright who says otherwise exactly (laughs) 